You are listening to the sermon series, Judges, Thrones of the Heart, from Hicksville Cornerstone Church in Hicksville, Ohio. To find out more about our church, visit hixcc.org. We're going to slow down today, okay? Um, If you've been paying attention, we've been flying through Judges, at times like almost two chapters at a time. So we're only going to take one. Okay? Okay? You're welcome. Um, and, and Peter mentioned it last week. We've come to really a change within the text. Um, Gideon and his son Abimelech showed us two very different types of leaders. And as we move forward in the book of Judges, after the two judges that we're going to hear from today, um, they look a lot more like Abimelech than they do Gideon. It is, in some sense, God's judgment among, among the people of Israel. Um, and just a reminder that even God can use some very wicked, wicked people. So this is where we've come to in the text. I want us to pause, take a break. We're going to slowly move through uh, chapter 10 today. Because if we can get what takes place in chapter 10 right, then I think it is going to benefit us moving forward. I've spent this series painting a picture of what it looks like um, on the thrones of the heart of the people of Israel, that they worship foreign gods and foreign deities and have abandoned Yahweh God over and over again. And now we're going to peer even closer at the thrones of the heart. But instead of it being primarily about the people of Israel, we're going to start looking inward to see what thrones sit on our hearts to see the type of idols that we worship. And with that in mind, I just want to say this off the bat, please know that my goal today is not to make you mad. However, there are areas of our lives that when we worship false gods, it is madness by definition. And when those things are brought to light, we respond like the reality that we are in. You see, we can become enslaved to idolatry, so much so that we begin to worship that slavery, and so much so that we don't even know the shackles are on us until far too late. And when that is the case, When we're confronted with the shackles that our idols have put us under, many times we're okay with those shackles because we've become used to them. But the call of the gospel is to remove them and to be free. For when madness dwells within, it is realized without. So we're going to take a look at the story of the judges that followed Gideon and Abimelech, and this begins to paint the picture. Judges 10, 1 through 5. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo. These are great names, by the way. A man of Issachar, and he lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried in Shamir. 
After him rose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities, called Havath Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Kaman. So we come to Tola and jo J Jair. I'm going to ask you a question. Feel free to shout it out. What is missing in the story of the judges of Tola and Jair? What is missing that we have seen every other time with every other judge? Anybody? Huh? Okay. So there's a lack of evil in the land. Very good. Anyone else? No one's oppressing them. Where are the Philistines? Where are the Ammonites? Where are the Midianites? When are, are any of the other ites that don't like Israel? You see, every other time there was an outside enemy force. So what was oppressing Israel during this season or before these judges came? And I think it's very clear, and we're going to see from the text earlier, Tola and Jair saved Israel from themselves. That's what they saved them from. The enemy within. The idols of the heart. The madness of idolatry had led to slavery of personal idols. And Tola and Jair reminded Israel to worship the one true God. Israel, Yahweh, was their fortress. Yahweh was their constant deliverer. Yahweh was their sustainer. And as these judges ruled in the land, Israel remembered Yahweh God. But the moment they died, they slipped right back into self-induced madness. They were willingly, and you could argue gleefully, enslaved to the idols of the land. And we're going to read the text today. We're going to do, we used to do this all the time. They've been so long we haven't to in a while, got to in a while, but we're going to stand today for the reading of the text. So please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Judges 10, 6 through 18 today. If you could help me out while I read, that'd be great. And if you could begin to turn me down a little. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites? 
from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidians also, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mitzpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Father God, we come to you this morning and we beseech your presence. We know that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. We know that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, for training, for correcting and righteousness so that the man of God may be complete for every good work. We know that without your presence here, my words are nothing more than a loud gong. And so I ask for your presence this morning. Lord, pierce our hearts. Shine a light on the areas of our hearts which have been darkened by the idols of this world. And may we repent. May we turn to you. Lord, see our misery and be distressed by it. In your son's name I pray, amen. We begin with the gods of the land. Now, if you're, if you're filling it in, spell God with a lowercase g. <laughs> it, I could only put this font in capitals. It bothered me for like three minutes as I tried to figure it out, okay? But put in lowercase g. It's the gods of the land. This section gives us a reminder of the gods of the land. Israel abandons the worship of Yahweh and serves the Baals, the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, Sidon, Moab, Ammonites, Philistines. They collect gods like kids collect Pokemon cards. And when the Ammonites and the Philistine gods are new this time. The other ones, however, have been introduced earlier in the book, if you've been paying attention. But notice a similar theme. Every time Israel worships a foreign deity, it's the nation of that foreign deity that enslaves them, that oppresses them which tells us something very true, right? That idolatry leads to enslavement. This is the outcome every time. Think about it this way, though. You would think that if a nation oppresses you, you would hate the gods of that nation. But notice Israel here. They don't. Their suffering does not lead to rebellion. Israel goes back to the same well that has poisoned them over and over again. And they do it willfully and gleefully. 
Israel is not alone in this tendency. The gods of our land do this to us all the time too. Don't miss this. It's so easy for us to be like, <laughs> those dumb Israelites. We do the same thing. We fall into the same trap. I think most of us have seen this modern-day analogy, right? Maybe you have seen, or maybe you were, these teenagers or young adults who move from one romantic relationship to the next, right? The young man or woman defines their worth based on the title of boyfriend or girlfriend. And when the relationship doesn't work out, what do they do? They're quick to find a new one thinking, this time I will be satisfied. They never consider that the problem of their idolatry of actual relationships, their enslavement to the romantic title, is their actual issue. They see their problem not as worshiping an idol, but not worshiping the idol enough. We've all seen that. They try again and again and again, and heartbreak after heartbreak doesn't lead them to change tactics. It just leads them to change people who are doomed to fail them because they are not to be savior. We could say the same thing, right, about jobs. If you've got a really good job, you might think, well, if I invest more time into it, then it'll finally satisfy me. I'll work overtime. I'll find the satisfaction there. Or let's say you don't have a good job. Let's say you've never had a good job. But you think my work is what defines me, and you blame one boss after another, after another, after another for the satisfaction that you can't find every time you get employed. You double down. We can say the same thing when we treat sex as an idol. If I take this relationship to a more physical level, finally it'll satisfy me. The same can be said for a hobby as an idol. The same can be said when our children become idols, when money becomes an idol, when they, don't ultimate, when they ultimately don't satisfy us, we don't pull away from the idol. We double down, thinking this time, this time will be different. This time will be better. And notice how everything I just said are good things. Relationships, good thing. Money, good thing. Sex, good thing. Hobbies, jobs, children, all are good things. However, when we make good things ultimate things, it's an idol. And we are willingly enslaved to it. Which means we make the idol of slavery itself. We'd rather have that. That is the definition of madness. That's the definition of madness. Here's a hard truth that the text reveals to us today. I don't like it, but it's in the scriptures, so it's true. If you run to madness, sometimes God will allow you to experience its full oppression. 
When you sell yourself into slavery, God will allow you to wear the chains until they become too heavy. Hear the words again from Judges. This is terrifying. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. This is such a harsh phrase. Sold them into their hands. This is supposed to shock the reader. It's not the first time we've seen these words. Judges 2, 3, and 4 all have them. But what does this mean, though? What does it mean to be sold into the hand of our enemies? We know from the rest of the book that it doesn't mean that Yahweh abandons his people. His promises are clearly not nullified when this takes place. However, it's very clear that he removes his protection from them in some way. Imagine a throne room of the heart. Imagine a throne room with me. You walk in and and there is Yahweh God seated on the throne in all his glory. And what does Israel do in the thrones of their heart? Israel ousts the king. They take the throne, they put it into storage. They think this throne room is big enough. We can put a couple thrones in here. So they start setting up thrones of all the different gods of the land. They have a pantheon of different deities that they worship, different sacrifices that they make. And it leads the nation to chains. And they don't even realize it. Don't miss this in the text. They don't even realize it. How long does it take for them to call out to God? Eight Teen years. They think they've been so lulled to sleep that they don't even realize their oppression that they're in. They set up these foreign gods. They've ousted Yahweh God. And they, they like intermarrying the foreigners. They like following their practices. They enjoy the sin that the foreigners enjoy. It's going to work. These things are going to satisfy them. We have found what will finally satisfy us and protect us. And then one day they wake up. and There's chains on their hand. And they look at their wrists. And by the look of it, those chains have been on there a long time. They're really well worn. They're calloused. How long have these been there? What are they chained to? And many of them just double down. Well, if I worship it more, maybe the chains will get lighter. Maybe the chains are a fashion statement. Eighteen years, and their hearts reflect Romans 1, which was quoted this morning. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Same words. In the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The lust 
of their hearts. It's a weird, weird phrase. What does he mean here? Uh, let me kind of break it down. The word lust in Greek is epithumia, which means overwhelming drive. An enslaving, uncontrollable desire. Now, these things happen in many plain things in life, but we see these most clear in addictions, right? When we talk about addictions, we see this most clear. I think lust is the perfect word to describe it, right? The alcoholic lusts after more alcohol, even if it means spending the night hugging a toilet. I have counseled many uh, men, one woman, who have had video game addictions. And, and this epithumia is a perfect example of it, right? They, all they do is think about the games. They dream about the games. They are enslaved to the screen, and they find that they cannot shut it off. They, they, they quote that phrase that has made t-shirts, right, all the time, just one more level. Epithumia. And a very real epithumia that is killing women in particular right now is the smartphone, right? In reality, I guess many of us in here are probably lusting after it. Even older people. I was at a wedding this week, right? There are tables of young people. Thousands of dollars spent on decorations, providing an opportunity for people to mingle. Thousands of dollars spent on food. Thousands of dollars spent on a, he was a decent DJ, okay? Like, thousands. And the only light that lights up their table are from the lights of their screen as it floods their face. They've missed the whole point. Everyone just staring at their devices. When I was in youth ministry, I had one kid that refused to go on a weekend retreat because we told him he couldn't be without his phone for 48 hours. Epithumia. Slavery. Idolatry. Madness. It is madness. Young women have suffered from this the most. Two weeks ago, the CDC released their information on the mental health of teenage girls for 2021. Almost three in five U.S. teen girls reported feeling sad or hopeless in 2021 over a long period of time. Three in five! It's the highest level seen in a decade and nearly twice the rate among teenage boys. Nearly a third of girls surveyed said they had seriously considered attempting suicide. up 60% from 2011. What happened in 2011? Why, why is 2011 so important? Instagram came out October of 2010. By 2011, it was in the hands of the vast majority of teenagers, followed by whatever other social media scheme has followed since then. And these social media schemes tell them that their value is equated by how many likes or hearts their performance gets. 
And there's a e- real easy solution to this, right? Remove the app. But what do we do when we're in a state of madness? We double down. We think the next video I post, the next picture will finally bring me the satisfaction my heart so yearns for. That's slavery. That's idolatry. That's madness. And ultimately, that's sin. Pastor, how can you say this is sin? Remember, sin is missing the mark. And millions of people worship self or their reputations rather than the creator. Tim Keller puts it best. Sin isn't only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. Whatever you build our life, whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily adultery. So what God of the land has enthroned, is enthroned on your heart? What God of the land is enthroned on your heart? What God of the land has convinced you that you just need to sacrifice to it a little bit more? And you'll be satisfied. In the commentary on Judges, Judges for You, it reminds us of this. It says, if you want to live for money instead of Yahweh, then money will rule your life. It will control your heart and emotions. If you want to live for popularity instead of Yahweh, then popular acclaim will rule and control you. If you want another small g, God, besides big G, God, Yahweh, Go ahead. Let's see how merciful it is to you, how effective it is in saving and guiding and enlightening you. God has given you free will to make this choice. And far too many of us are satisfied by the created things of this world and not for the creator of it. And when we find ourselves trapped by these idols, Maybe it's been 18 years for you thinking, this'll work. You have two options. Double down on your idol, which we're prone to do, or repent. Repent. Turn away from your idols and turn to Jesus. Turn to Yahweh. We see that in the following verses in Judges. I'm going to review it again for us. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God, and we have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their land. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he, God, became impatient over the misery in Israel. 
This is where we see repentance displayed. Here we see the heart of mankind and the heart of Yahweh God on display. Israel is oppressed, all of Israel this time. Not just a few tribes like before, all, both sides of the Jordan. They, are being, they, they have worshipped foreign idols. The idols on the thrones of their heart have terrorized them enough to realize they're false gods. But Yahweh God knows their heart. He hears the cry from their mouths, but knows they are from lying lips. Why? Because this is a broken record. They keep crying out to him to relieve their pain, not to repent of what has got them in the situation in the first place. So God, hear this, in his mercy, shows them the depths of their sin. Shows them where their sin has led them. And he says to them, I will no longer save you. Call out to their, your gods and see if they will do it. Michael Willock explains, the Lord is saying here, I know what this cry is of yours. It is merely a cry for help, which might just as well be addressed to the Baals as it is to me. They are calling out to Yahweh God for help. And the way they went about it, <laughs> they went to the throne room of their heart, right? Picture that same throne room from earlier. They had that pantheon of gods in there. And they got that old throne out of the storage system, right? And they set it up. And they thought they'd be clever. They set it up right in the middle of the room. God, Yahweh, this is your throne. And they invited him back in. And they said, we're so sorry for what we've done. Please deliver us from evil. But they made a grave mistake. They set him up in a throne room with all the other gods. God does not want the throne of your heart with all the other thrones still in its place. He desires for us to remove the thrones of our heart, the idols that exist, and we worship only Him. They have not removed. They've simply tried to add Yahweh to their pantheon. This repentance is half-hearted. They are lukewarm in their turning to Him. God is very clear. Repentance is turning from the false gods of your heart, not just adding Him to your mix. People today... Today, in today's world, we want Jesus and, right? Jesus and the gods of the land. We want Jesus and we want to enjoy modern sexual norms. The Word of God makes that very clear. Flee from sexual immorality. Every, person, every other sin in the person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his very body. They want Jesus and they want a great bank account, thinking themselves not stewards of what the Lord is giving them, but deserving of the riches that they have earned in this life. No man can serve two masters, for either will he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. They want Jesus and popularity and fame and worship of the world. John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Many of you sit on the fence of this world, 
You want both sides of the yard. You want both pastures. You sit on the fence. And Yahweh God is on one side of the pasture. And he's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And so you look at him and you think, that's, that's a really great, I like that sentiment. I like rest. I don't like being weary. And then you, we hear the same exact statement from the world. The only difference is it comes out of a forked tongue. And they offer you comfort and pleasures and they lull you to sweet sleep with sweet melodies. And you think, well, I really like a lot of the idols the world has to offer too. I can have both. If I just sit here on the fence, I can enjoy both pastures. I can hang out with Jesus when it's convenient for me. And I can hang out with the idols of the world that are convenient for me. And at some point, typically far too late in the game, the devil comes to the fence to collect that soul and reminds them, I own the fence too. Your neutrality, your middle ground is not neutral. Your middle ground is not neutral. This is the Lord. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Children of God, have you repented of the sins? Have you repented of the idols in your heart that you are serving? Or have you simply added Jesus to the pantheon and called it done? This will not save you. You must do what Israel has done in the passage. After God speaks to their heart, after he reminds them of what he done, after he calls them out of their sin, after he has shown the barrenness of foreign gods, they finally do something about their idols. Judges 10, 16. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And... Yahweh became impatient over their misery of Israel. This is repentance. This is the mark of a believer. This is the first sermon of Jesus. Mark 1. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus doesn't want some of your devotion. He wants all of it. For his glory, and hear this, for your good. Do you believe this? Do you believe that following Jesus is for your good? Or do you believe that it will be like all the other idols that have failed you? Jesus will not fail you. The story of Yahweh God over and over again is his relentless pursuit of his chosen people. Notice the heart at the end of verse 16. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Yahweh God is a God who relieves suffering. Who offers peace in this life in the midst of the storms that come. Even when his people deserve nothing. Nada. 
It is Jesus, the incarnate God, who offers ultimate reconciliation with those around us and in the world we live in. So much so that in our search for a Savior, he has already sent one. Notice the enemy encamped and the leader Israel is searching for in the text. And the Ammonites were called to arms, and then they encamped in Gilead. That's the bad guys. And the people of Israel came together. That's, okay, less bad guys, chosen people of God. And they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And this is where we see the enemy at the border and the search for the Savior. Israel has repented. We've seen that in the text. And now they are looking for who will save them. We're going to meet this messed up Savior and judge next week. His name's Jephthah. We're going to see how today's story is such an echo of Jephthah's life. It's all through it. You won't be able to miss it, mostly because I'm going to remind you of it over and over again. But you can't miss it, okay? But next week is a tragedy. May today be the victory. All stories in the Bible ultimately point to Jesus, and this is no different. While Israel waited on a Savior with the enemy at the border, you already have been given yours. Your search for a Savior ended at the incarnation 2,000 years ago. The King of this world sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The question is, what will you do with the Savior? Will you be like Israel and lusts after the other gods of the land? Have epithumia for the things of this world? Or will you cast them aside for the only Savior who satisfies? Will you repent of the idols on the throne of your heart? And will you embrace the Savior who offers himself? Will your heart be revived by the good news of Jesus? There's been a lot said about revival the past few weeks. What is happening in Asbury and other places is fascinating. I'm not going to comment on it here. But I know a lot about revival. And do you want to know one of the key ingredients of revival? Everyone. What's happened in every revival in history, whether it's the Jesus Revolution in the 70s, revivals in Africa, South Korea, in communist China, in early America, in 16th century Europe, in Iran, in India, they are all marked by an outpouring of repentance. All of them. They all begin with people calling out to God and saying, forgive me for worshiping the things of the world and not for worshiping you. Lord, I confess that I'm broken. Lord, I confess my sexual addiction. I confess my pride. I confess my addiction to money, to fame, to bitterness, to unforgiveness, to my religious traditions, to not centering my life upon the cross, but centering my life around my comfort. All revival has begun with repentance. All revival has begun with confession. Every single one. When non-believers do this, they come to saving faith. It's amazing. If you've had that experience and you've come to saving faith in Jesus, you know what that is like. You've confessed of your sin, you've repented, and you've been met by a wonderful Savior. And believers do this too. Repentance isn't just a one-time thing. Ha, huh, I repented, everything has changed now, I have no other sins that plague me, right? We repent every day. And every time we are met with a God that is not bitter with us, oh, you got to do this again. Oh, 
you are so miserable, you are worthless, you are the worst Christian ever. That is not the voice in the heart of God. But instead we have a Savior that meets us in the midst of our repentance. He doesn't, hear me, he doesn't flee from us. He embraces us. That is the gospel. You and I were dead in our sin and trespasses. We deserved the wrath of God because the worship and the thrones of our hearts were not directed towards Yahweh. But instead, we loved slavery and idolatry. We deserved condemnation. We deserved hell. But God, but God, in his mercy, sent his one and only son into the world so to be a propitiation for our sins, to turn back the wrath of God that we deserved. Jesus went to the cross, having lived a perfect life as his righteousness in the sight of God, and the wrath of God was poured out on him for your sin. Jesus willingly took your place, and then he gives you his righteousness, not just for when you die, but so that you may have life abundantly now. Jesus says, John 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, those are the idols of this world. comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That is the gospel. Scripture says all you need to do is repent and believe the good news. The idols of the land are thieves that will do you great harm. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Yahweh God. And you will be saved when you follow him. Here's the question. Will you be saved today? Will today be the day that you remove the idols that sit on the throne of your hearts? Will you rejoice in the work of Jesus on your behalf? Will you follow Jesus? May today be that day. And if you've already done that, but there's still idols in your life that plague you, God uses repentance over and over again to make us more like him. Repent, confess, and be met again by a Jesus who saves. Live the life you were called to live. Walk through the door, for he is the door. Come to Jesus and live. Bow your heads with me.